Last week on the show, we had part one of this episode, which had Peter Smith on the show. Just to remind you, in episode 186, we had Peter Smith, who is an expert on public sector procurement. In other words, if you're interested in being approved as a supplier of training, consulting, etc., to the public sector, meaning maybe local government or national or state or federal bodies, then that's what today's about. Peter's written books, four books, in fact, on the subject of public sector procurement. This is where government or local government buys services from people like you and me. And today we have part two of the show. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, my name is Mark. And before the music, I explain that this is the Training Business Podcast. This is the show for people like you and me. If you are someone like me who is making a living full-time or even part-time from providing your expertise, your programs, workshops, uh, training in the form of products and services and selling them, this is the show for you because I'm someone just like you who has clients, direct and indirect. I work with other training companies. I help other people to establish their training businesses. And of course, I have my own direct clients too. But Every single Thursday, without fail, on your podcast platform of choice, there is an episode of the show, and either it's just you and I, where we go through some subject together to help you on your training business journey, to help you to start, to scale, and to grow, or I have guests on the show who lend their expertise to you as a podcast episode, and this week we have part two of the, the episode on selling training to the public sector. And if you've not yet subscribed, can I ask you please to subscribe because it costs nothing, takes a couple of seconds and helps to validate what James, Sam and I do every single week to bring you an episode. And if you have any queries about the subject uh, or matter contained in this week's or last week's episode, you can drop me a line via email and my email is simply mark at trainingbusiness.com. Peter, hi, welcome back this week. Hi, Mark, good to be back. Uh, last week, we talked about procurement. We introduced the concept of what procurement people do, and we referenced your considerable experience working in procurement. You've had several hundred people reporting to you, buying on behalf of private and public sector organizations. So this week, for everyone listening, is all about understanding uh, the stages of the procurement process. If you're someone who, like me in the past, has bid on public sector or state or government or city training contracts as a training uh, provider, uh, then this is what today is all about. So why don't we start with um, the stages of the procurement process? Last week, we defined what procurement is. It's people like you, Peter, who would have brought in people like me to provide training to uh, members of, of, of a government organization. What are the stages and the hoops in the procurement process typically? And uh, yeah, what I would say before I get into that actually is that a lot of the private sector is not that dissimilar to the public sector. And in the 
30 plus years I've been doing procurement, um, the private sector, bigger companies at least, have got more like the public sector, strangely. Uh, they become more concerned about things like corruption and, and openness and reputation. So they've generally introduced more formal procurement processes than when I was first doing it many years ago. So we're talking public sector, but actually a lot of private sector will not be very different. So anyway, just a point. Um, so I mentioned in the last one the sort of qualification element. So jumping through those first hoops to show that you're not run by a bunch of criminals, you have a modern slavery policy, you perhaps have a few references to show that you do know what you're talking about. You have done health and safety training before. Uh, you, you're not, you know, you're not running a, uh, a newspaper retailer and just thought you'd quite like to try this. Um, then you generally get into, and, and that could be a whole phase in itself. So maybe you have to go through that qualification phase before you're allowed to then bid for the actual work. You'll then be asked to, to, um, to respond to something like an RFP. It could be an ITT, invitation to tender. That's another bit of jargon we like. Um, but basically that's asking questions about how you will actually do the work. So tell me, what your training course looks like. How do you deliver it? What are the different elements of it? What are the key um, capabilities that you're going to, to instill in your students? And there may be more about why do you think you're good at it? Who's going to deliver it? What are their credentials? Um, there could be questions about your, your service, um, certainly questions about the capability of your people. In the public sector increasingly now, there may be questions about what we call social value or sustainable procurement. Okay, what's that exactly? That's uh, my, my most recent book, Procurement with Purpose. Um, it's, it's how procurement's going to save the world. So it basically says, certainly for bigger organisations, if they can influence their suppliers in areas like emissions, climate change, but also social areas, um, equality and diversity even, uh, the natural world, you know, deforestation, all of these things. Big organizations can achieve more by influencing their huge supply base than they can just by doing this internally. So you can imagine for a big company like ones I, I worked for, we might have hundreds of very large suppliers for whom Mars or NatWest or, or my government department were important customers. So if that customer is saying, I want you to have a net zero plan, or I want you to tell me how you're going to make sure you have a diverse workforce or that your own suppliers um, are, are diverse and, and so on, and that you don't have modern slavery in your supply chain, that can be very effective. And that's a big movement in procurement at the moment. So if you're bidding for certainly bigger contracts in the UK public sector, you are going to get asked those questions now. So, um, so yeah, so the questions are, are not just about the detail of how you're going to deliver that training or that consulting. They do diverge off now into some other areas like that. And basically, you need to answer those questions to the best of your ability. And it is a selling process. You're putting your best foot forward. Uh, you're presenting yourself in a positive manner. Um, and then alongside all of that, there will probably be, be an element of pricing where they're asking for, for something on, on the cost side as well. Well, we, we have to come to that then. We absolutely have to address price. How important is price to someone who is procuring training, consult, consult, uh, consulting, you know, facilitation on behalf of, of their department or body? It, uh, it's not a great answer, but the, the honest answer is it depends. 
So it can be incredibly important. So uh, as I said last time, procurement usually isn't the budget holder, um, but procurement may have been told by the head of HR, um, you know, I, I really need to buy this training. Maybe it's, maybe it's 20 workshops around the country or something. Um, but I've only got a budget of 20,000 pounds. So we cannot go over that. And, and actually it would be great if we could get it in at 15 because I could spend the other five on something else. Um, or it may be getting towards the end of the financial year and somebody finds out they have lots of money left in their budget. And particularly in the public sector, there's often a risk that you not only lose that money, you can't carry it forward to the next financial year, but you'll get your budget cut for the next year. So there's a double whammy there, um, in which case, uh, and I'm being slightly cynical here, they may even almost ask you to to increase your price. It does happen, yes, or, it does. Yeah, or, or as has happened to me, they might say, well, actually, could you do some of it this financial year and some the next financial year, but we'd like you to invoice us all for the whole lot before the end of March. So I've, I've had that in the past more than once. Um, so it, it's hard to know how important price is. And then the other factor is the evaluation process can vary a lot. And, and that varies in two ways. For bigger public sector contracts and some private, you'll see people talking about the weighting. And they'll say, okay, quality, which includes everything around quality, is 60% and price is 40%. So price sounds quite important there. But the second element of that is how are they actually going to mark price? So it's all very well saying it's 40% of the, the total evaluation. But if you bid £1,000 and I bid £2,000, how many marks are we each going to get, if you see what I mean? So you're cheaper. So does that mean they're going to give you the whole 40% and give me zero? Or I'm twice the price, so they're going to give me half the marks? Or are they going to use some complicated formula that means you score 40 and I score 30? And you see how that could lead to real differences in how important price really is. Because if they're going to do it in a system where um, I score, who was cheapest, me or you? I can't remember now. If they do it in a system where one of us scores 40 and the other scores zero, then the one who scores 40 has won, unless, unless you know, the quality is just appalling. Um, so in that case, price really is important. But if you're going to score 40 and I'm going to score 30, then quality with 60% the marks is clearly really, really important and probably more important than price. And I've seen this when I've, I've worked um, from time to time on the sales side, helping companies bid for public sector contracts. And, and it's almost the first thing I look at is, is how the evaluation's being done. And I mean, I've told consulting and, and legal services companies before, um, looking at the way they're marking price, I don't think it's terribly important. You, you can't afford to be twice as expensive as your competitors, but it's not worth agonizing over the final 50 quid on a day rate. You, you know, you're not going to win or lose this on whether your junior lawyer or junior consultant is a thousand pounds a day or 900. It's not, it's really hardly matters. Um, in other cases, I've looked at it and said, well, it's okay as long as you're, around the average. But if you start moving away from that average, your mark is really going to start getting hit. So in that case, you know, sharpen your pencil and, and, and try and be in that, that, uh, that safe band. So it, it's really hard to generalize, but you do need to understand just how important price is. 
And it sounds quite complex, all of this. Um, well, I'm a mathematician. I like this sort of stuff, you see. <laughs> right. So someone who isn't a bit like me would, would look at this and think, oh, my goodness, the, um, all these hoops to jump through. Do I put down a low price? Do I put down a high price? So we could put down a low price, but actually we're, we're damaging our own uh, financial uh, prospects. It, it's not necessarily going to win is what we're saying here. It, just having the lowest price does not necessarily win the business. And if we have the lowest price, we then may come to regret this because the scale – of the work that's involved, it's almost like that the the profit per head uh, trained uh, is just then becomes so um, it just falls beneath what's acceptable. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's a key point we haven't touched on yet. Actually, and I think we should is a lot of public sector work is done through what are generally called frameworks. Um, private sector might also call them preferred supplier list or approved supplier list or something like that. But that's a two-stage procurement process where the organization chooses usually a range of companies and they may be split by capability. Um, and they put in place a sort of uh, covering contract that, that covers all the insurance and all the IP and all of that and, and almost certainly has pricing as well. But there's no commitment to buy. And they then say to their budget holders – who might be within one organization, or it could even spread across many public organizations. Okay, you can use Smith Consulting under this contract, and you don't have to go through a long and tedious process starting from scratch. You might have to do a smaller process to choose between the six consultants on our framework, but you don't have to advertise it. You don't have to do all the tedious stuff. Um, now, that's great. If you can get on a framework, that's really worth doing. And look out for whichever country you're in, look out for the big government frameworks. Uh, and they almost certainly exist somewhere. However, whatever price you put on that framework, you are, you are never going to be able to charge more than that. You know, you, you have set that price. And even if that framework only applies in, in, let's say the, the university sector, other buyers in government will probably have access to it, or at least they'll know what's on it, or they'll ask their friend what's on it. And they'll come back to you and say, Peter, I see you're selling your consultant services for a thousand pounds a day on the national universities framework. You've just tried to charge me 1200. What do you think I am? <laughs> you're trying to rip me off. And then, and then you have to go, Oh, well, well, Sue, it's difficult. You know, I'm putting, giving you a higher quality of person than on the framework. Like, yeah. Yeah. Peter, never mind that. I've caught you get that price down to a thousand. Um, so. Uh, yeah, be, be, be careful with framework pricing in, in particular. And I've seen some big consulting firms, um, who misjudged this. And actually in the end, what, what they did was they started turning down a lot of government work or refusing to bid for it. Yep. I know one provider did that. They, they came to regret this. Um, it, it hung around their neck like, uh, like a leads, uh, something. And, and, that, and that's not a good look either. Saying to, to a buyer time after time, I'm sorry, we're not going to bid for this work because we can't, you know, I can't give you someone at £1,000 a day. So all of this, w without putting people off, and hopefully people are not put off thinking this is, this is, um, this is dangerous territory, it can be quite rewarding. Um, but it's not necessarily within our skill set. You may be comfortable providing training only to the public sector or the private sector. You might have a, a, a domain preference. What about the skill set, though, needed to do a good job of this because I know one company, one training company, literally down the door from me, down the road from me, um, they have one person on their team and their job, her job is only to look after 
you know, tenders, bid writing, uh, proposals for government uh, public sector contracts. How, how much of a skill, skills, um, re- what kind of a skill requirement is needed to actually do this well? I, I think it's probably probably a combination of three skills. And a lot of bigger organizations certainly will have internal people who do it. Um, mid-sized ones may well uh, employ uh, consultants, <laughs> contractors, or, or specialist bid writers, whatever, to come in when they need them. Um, and, and very small companies tend to have to try and do it themselves. But the three skills, I think the first one is it's around that sort of understanding of things like the importance of price that I said earlier, having a bit of a strategic view of being able to read a, a bid and say, well, what's really important in, in here is this, or gosh, this looks like a difficult question. What are they getting at there? Y- you know, a sort of strategic understanding. Um, and, and that's generally the role I play when I occasionally help help companies. I, I'm not particularly looking for work in this area, I should say, so I'm not pitching here. Um, the, the second skill is actually writing the bid, because usually you, you'll have limited number of words. Um, it'll be you've got 200 words or 400 words to answer this question. And understanding what's really wanted by the question, focusing in on that, putting putting your best foot forward while answering the question not answering the question you you would have liked them to ask or the question that you can <laughs> that you can answer well because you have a great capability you've got to answer the question you're asked so the actual writing of of that response is um, is is a major skill and the third one actually is the sort of project management of it because i i've seen bids um pretty much fall apart on on it just not being managed properly and and one slightly amusing story. I, I, I got pulled in by a, a legal services company I hadn't worked with before who asked me to look at a bid they, they'd put in and they'd failed. They hadn't got onto this framework, actually, and they were very disappointed by this, and they were debating whether they would issue a legal challenge to the decision. So they asked me to look at their bid and how it had been scored by the, the government department. And I looked at it and I said, well, actually, to be perfectly honest, I think they were quite generous in their scoring <laughs> because there were there were only about six questions, core questions. I said, because three of the questions you answered really badly. I'm sorry, but, you, you know, you didn't answer to the point. It was rambling. It wasn't clear. You, you, you know, I, I would have given it one out of five and they gave you two out of five. I think they were generous. Um, and they, the, the, lady who's their marketing manager looked at me and she said, yeah, they were the three questions that our senior partner insisted on writing the answers to himself and didn't, and didn't give them to me until half an hour before the submission deadline. That's a true story. And, you know, A, it was too late for them to do anything about it. And B, it would have been quite difficult for the marketing manager to have told their senior partner that he'd written a load of rubbish. Um, that's a role I've fulfilled sometimes. I'm the external person who says somebody senior has written, written something that doesn't answer the question. Um, so, so the management of the process is, is key. Uh, if you can do those three things internally, that's great. If you can't, and it's a big enough contract to justify spending a bit of money, then you can spend a bit of money on, on any of those three areas. I mean, you could learn to do this, but the question in my mind is, is this something which would constitute a revenue generating activity for a consultant? And the answer is probably not. It's, it's admin. Uh, and the second question I would ask myself is, um, how well can I do this? So to your point, Peter, 
you could literally um, write this, but do a bad job of it, and then wish I wish you'd recruited someone or hired someone or contracted with someone to do it. And we can find these people. I mean, they are out there on LinkedIn. We can find specialist bid writers. But I mean, you have to be careful. I've seen specialist bid writers do a bad job as well. And yeah, and and I mean, what you can't do is outsource it completely because the bid writer doesn't understand your business like you do. So you you still have to give them a lot of input. What the good ones can do is take what you've told them um, and and put it into, and it's not a case of writing flowery English, but but they can capture the key points. They can do it in a really concise manner. They can make sure they're hitting exactly what the question's asked. But you have to give them the ammunition, really. You know, they, they can, I'm not sure we should use this analogy, they can fire the bullets, but you have to provide all the ammunition. Okay. Um, before we wrap up, let's just talk about something which is quite important right now. Some governments want a paper process. Some of those in the 21st century are all electronic submission. Um, anything for people to realize there or, or to worry about there in terms of how they submit the formats in which they submit these kinds of submissions? Well, the, I mean, the electronic platforms are getting better and better, but if you've never used one before, or even if you've used one before, but not the one that your buyer is using, um, take some time to get to know it before you get to the, the deadline, because they have different quirks. So so some of them, you can't enter, I don't know, bullet points. There won't be any way of putting in diagrams or whatever. Some are more flexible. Uh, some work on a, on a word count basis, some work on a character count basis. So whatever you do, don't prepare your response manually or in word or something and leave it to an hour before the final deadline and think, Oh, I'll just upload this now into the, uh, uh, into the Zorro system. <laughs> it, it happens. People do that. It don't happens. They? And, and I've seen people miss, miss the bits. You know, I've, I've worked on the buy side where we've had a phone call. 10 minutes before submission from a panicking sales director saying, we can't get this to load. We can't get this. To, what are we going to do? Now, most buyers in that situation will, will give you a little bit of grace. Um, people tended to be less flexible in the olden days when it was all paper-based. Uh, if it really is a system problem, you might get a short extension. But, but you know, they're not going to say, oh, that's all right, do it tomorrow, um, because other bidders will claim that's unfair. You've had more time. So, so make sure you understand how the, the technology works well in advance of submission. I think that's the, um, that's the simple but key bit of advice if you are submitting electronically. And the one day that you have everything perfectly written and you decide to copy and paste it into the website is the one day it doesn't load properly or there's a problem with the connection. Something happens, right? Yeah, exactly. You have a power cut. I've heard of yes. that. You know, it's, it's, um, I mean, I, I would always say, if submission is 12 o'clock on the 21st, um, if you've had a reasonable length of time to prepare, aim to do it 7 p.m. the night before, and then you've got a morning spare just in case. You know, don't plan to do it at two minutes to 12. So we've covered loads in this week's and last week's episode. We talked about um, what procurement is, the role of procurement, um, the people behind procurement, why procurement exists, um, where people can find uh, listings for, on behalf of governments or state bodies or city bodies looking for um, training providers like you and me to p 
pitch for business. Um, and the requirements, which can be quite onerous and a couple of warnings to you is that you might want to think about whether you want to do this, um, and, and how you price things and how you fill in or complete that uh, submission. Loads we could have covered. Where can people find out more about the the stuff we haven't covered, which is uh, th- those four books you've written on the subject? Well, I, I, um, Peter Smith's a very common name, unfortunately. But I think if you if you look at Peter Smith procurement on Amazon, you probably find the the four books. Um, Bad Buying was published by Penguin, so that's my sort of biggest book. It was published 18 months ago, all about the things that go wrong in procurement. And my most recent one, Procurement with Purpose, is about the good things procurement can do. So I've got two websites that I, I write about one new article a week on each. The so one is badbuying.com and one is procurementwithpurpose.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn again. If people want to follow me, look up Peter Smith procurement you probably find me and good luck to everyone going to uh, <laughs> go down this path yeah indeed and and, and just remember you know procurement people are, are usually nice people we're not we're not deliberately trying to make your life difficult most of the time anyway <laughs> <laughs> peter thank you so much for being my guest today on the show again thanks very much mark my sincere thanks to peter again for being my guest on this week's episode. If you've not heard part one of this two-part episode on how to sell training to the public sector, if that's something you're interested in doing or improving your performance in this area, then please go back and listen to part one last week. So this week is episode 187. Last week is episode 186 with Peter Smith. You can find all the details about this week's and last week's episode, as well as every other episode of the podcast by visiting trainingbusiness.com. If you've got ideas for the show, guests, authors, experts you'd like to have on the show, whose people who you think could help people like you and me and the training business community, then please let me know. You can drop me an email by writing to me via mark at trainingbusiness.com. That's mark at trainingbusiness.com. I welcome all kinds of feedback or ideas or suggestions because this is your show, not my show. It's for people out there who make a living from training, consulting, facilitating, and helping other people, whether it's in the corporate sector or the public sector. So until next Thursday, this time next week, please keep going, keep reaching out, keep spreading the word, and I look forward to your company next week. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.